Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking and film theory. And each week we take a different film and we talk about it, talk about some of the themes and ideas it throws up and we'll always end with recommendations of films to watch. This series we're taking it director by director, so we'll have a mini season on a particular director. And this season we're looking at Alejandro González Iñárritu. Um, but before we launch into his next film, the next film of his that we're going to look at, uh, Rob, do you have any um, recommendations for things you've been watching during the week? Yes, I, I do actually for once. Um, and it's one I really want to recommend quite strongly, which after last week's bad grandpa debacle um, is less ready. This is a film called Tokyo Tribe. Um, it's a Japanese um, language film set in Tokyo, set in a bizarre alternative Mad Max-esque Tokyo in which different areas of the city are controlled by different gangs um, of different sorts, all reflecting different parts of Japanese culture. There are the Yakuza's and there's um, like uh, sort of the sex worker gang and all that sort of different areas of, of the um, city. Um, into which you find this a yakuza starts to sort of starts to mess with the balance and basically pisses off a lot of all the crews by unleashing a new gang on it. The thing that makes this film different to other ones is it's a musical. It's a rap. It's a battle rap musical. So all the all the fights, while they have samurai swords and baseball bats, are all rapped. Everyone sings the entire film. And it has that same kind of Mad Max, but very Japanese style. And everyone's dressed weirdly. There's a lot, at one point there's a tank. Um, you know, there's a, a strange um, sort of Kubrick-style scene in which a mad Yakuza's son has turned all these people into slaves and made them furniture. It's so bizarre and weird. And I can't really explain it without watching it. But it is a, it's a full-on assault on the senses. Um, but as a rap musical, it's it's... If you're thinking things like Hamilton into the rap musical, it's nothing like Hamilton in any way. So it's a very odd film, and it kind of caught me by surprise, but I really, it's really stuck with me. Um, and everyone knows how much I love visuals, and it is certainly a very visual film. The, the trailer is, is insane, but if you are interested in more out-there filmmaking, I can only recommend Tokyo Tribe. Great. Sam? Yeah, um, I have not had... The opportunity to watch much in the way of films in the past week. I have been watching what I mean, various episodes here and there of TV series. Um, I'm still keeping up occasionally with The Punisher, and I'm in, enjoying the little nods to the comic book. In that, um, I don't know very much about the comic book. It's not one I'm familiar with at all. But um, I've been online to um, spoiler sites after the fact for to to continue my education in various characters that pop up in that. So that's been enjoyable. Um, something I want to talk about is I suppose it's it's a very recent sitcom from David Mitchell and Robert Webb. And it was, I think, I think it was early this year, possibly the end of last year, called Back. And it's 
about the aftermath of the death of a family patriarch and different responses to that death from um, the natural son David Mitchell and an adopted son who comes back into the family and everyone welcomes him apart from David Mitchell. So the conceit from the start is that Robert Webb is a bit of a smarmy git and you're shown that in the um, introduction to the first episode but everyone else is taken in by him apart from David Mitchell. And it's just, it's I suppose it's in the same genre of cringe comedy that you have with The Office, and it's it's done very well. Um, and we've also been watching Friends as uh, I suppose a twenty plus year old corollary of that. And it's interesting to see how much comedy has changed. I mean, I'm I know that it's it's a different country, but it's certainly, if you look at something like Modern Family, comedy in America has very definitely changed. Mm. And it's interesting to look at Friends and see what still works. Spoiler alert, Monica, Phoebe, Joey, Chandler, Rachel, and what definitely doesn't work, Ross, who is a creepy douchebag. Fair um, enough. So that, that's interesting. I've mean, been watching one modern comedy and then one definitely not modern comedy. Which is now, it's scary to say, but Friends is now a historical artefact. Yes, we have reached a point in our lives where yeah. the good old days, we can remember them. Sadly, yes. Right then, this week we are continuing with our Inuitu mini-season and we are looking at his... Next film, the sequel to Amoris Paris, the 2003 film 21 Grams. They say we all lose 21 grams at the exact moment of our death. Everyone, 21 grams, the weight of a stack of five nickels, the weight of a chocolate bar. The weight of a hummingbird. What happened to my family? 21 Grams is in a very similar style to Morris Perez. It tells three interlocking stories um, in which a, a freak accident connects three disparate people at different stages of their life, very different lives, and sort of binds them together. The three stories you've got, you've got Sean Payne, Sean Payne, Sean Penn, um, as Paul Rivers, a mathematician who receives a heart transplant. You've got Naomi Watts as Christina Peck, whose husband and two children were killed in a car accident or killed by an hit and run. Her husband's heart ends up inside Paul. And you've got Benico del Toro playing Jack Jordan, a reformed ex-con um, who, in a freak accident, hit and ran uh, the, the aforementioned father and daughter's. And the film sort of charts these people pre-accident all the way through to post-accident and how their lives interact at that moment and there from there on. Interestingly, unlike Morris Perez, which told three stories in separate, in this film it takes a technique called a mosaic film in which we see all the scenes of the film out of order. So there is some obviously planning to the editing, 
but it does you do see pre and post accident all throughout and there is no sense of a chronological depiction of those scenes i think i know what you're going to be sam but sam what were your thoughts on 21 grams i also think i know what your response is going to be which saddens me greatly um i love this film this is one of my favorite films i would put it up there with others i would say this is one of my top five ever films um I've loved it since I saw it, and I still love it. Um, and we've talked already about how Inarritu is more my director than yours, and this is one of the films that I was definitely looking forward to re-watching and talking about. Um, I just love the way... I mean, yes, it's a very bleak film, and yes, the characters at the heart of it are fairly horrible people when i say fairly horrible uh, it entirely horrible Mm. um i mean jack jordan is painted as horrible in very many ways and then turns into a twisted bible bashing nutcase who performs a hit and run at the center of this film so it's just horrible and then made even worse um, Naomi Watts is a grieving mother whose grief comes out in a weird, twisted, traumatised, not very nice way at all. And then Paul Rivers is just a, a Louis C.K. manipulative... He's just just horrible. He's in the mould of Louis C.K. and Kevin Spacey and numerous other um, entitled middle-class white men. He is just using his position of authority in order to get what he wants sexually and he is just horrible they're all terrible people and I couldn't care less because there's something about this story the way that it talks about loss and coming to terms with loss and the way that the actor performances are just beautifully put in Naomi Watts for example when her daughters die that scene when she is told about death of her daughters which comes before um, the death of her husband is just just heartbreaking and it phenomenally acted and the way that this there is this tagline life goes on and then you have characters challenging that and saying well life doesn't go on it just seems to me a brilliant portrayal of what grief is um and yeah i can see that certain characters or all the main characters are particularly unlikable but i do think i think what i i've so suffer the loss of someone close to me quite recently and I know you have someone even closer to you in the past and I just think the way that this talks about what it is to lose someone what it is to suffer that heartache is just beautifully presented well, fair enough fair enough shall I shall I offer my my view on the film I think you should yes. and now as Sam may have alluded to there, um, I'm intent to not crush Sam's dreams here because, as you say, it's one of his top five films and no one wants to 
to, to, to shit on their friends' films. Um, that being said, I very much did not enjoy this film. Whereas okay. Amores Perez had the advantage of being able to meet a callback, seeing it when I was younger, I had never seen 21 Grounds before. This was my first watch of this film. And it didn't get that same pass from me that Amores Perez did. I would, to open with good things, I think that the acting throughout, as you say, is superb. I think Naomi Watts, her depiction of grief and that sort of soul-destroying, the sucking void that grief can become is is unparalleled on film. I, I wouldn't in any way question that. I think that Benito del Toro is one of my favourite actors. I think he has that that... that melancholy and the bittersweetness to his life of just like he knows what he's done and he tries to be better but he also can't be better and the sort of the the intense rage that lives within that man despite his attempts to not be that person anymore he knows he is that person also I'd want to praise a heat praise on, on sporting actors I think Danny Houston's great as Naomi's wife uh, Charlotte Gainsborough is brilliant as Mayor Rivers this kind of manipulative but also manipulated uh, wife to Paul Rivers and my personal favourite Eddie Marsden who plays Reverend John the Reverend who's trying to turn Jack Jordan's life around he's an actor I've I've loved as long as I've known about him uh, and I thought he was great work here I do agree with what you're saying in terms of the film having that portrayal of grief and the, the idea that one moment can change everything and it does the, 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 the hit and run changes everything for these people and from a narrative point of view I can totally agree with everything you're saying my issue has come down to the direction mm-hmm. um, as I mentioned earlier the film is a mosaic film so we are seeing all of the um, all of the scenes out of order and I struggle to see how that is a film, te- film technique that makes any sense with this film um, it's very flashy um, and it's certainly what I would say I don't know what the phrase would be for it but that early 2000s filmmaking there's a sort of a a period of filmmaking in which this kind of filmic tricks, shall we say, become very all over, very very popular, um, and some are used wisely. Um, some, if you've seen a more recent film like Arrival, uh, they use some sort of chronological time tricks there to do some great things with it. And there are films like Memento where they use this kind of non-chronological filmmaking to great effect. Here, I wasn't sure what they were doing with it. I wasn't a fan of the look. There was a, certainly there's a and this is where we get into the weeds a little bit about filmmaking. Um, there's a film process called bleach bypass in which you can have, I've mentioned before on, on the film on the show when during the development process you can start to skip some of the phases uh, the, the you bypass the bleach phase of making films actual physical film and you get this kind of washed out shiny look that you have in this that everyone looks sickly through every scene at all the entire movie it's a very stylized thing and it's certainly a very stylized film but to me that stylized that style jars with what the film's trying to say and now we'll get more into this i'm sure once we begin but for me and this may be a jumping point to start with our conversations around this it was for me the film narratively is saying people don't change people can change let's say you know people can 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 sort of step beyond where they were jack jordan can can confess to a crime he didn't he didn't commit shall we say Mm. uh paul rivers can shoot himself to try and save somebody else um which is as you say he's a selfish man at the start and then that ends a very selfless act um and so the idea that people change but a mosaic film by mixing it up 
is essentially telling us that people don't change. You know, you are supposed to infer that these that the chronological of human growth doesn't actually apply in this situation, that we are seeing people lack of change. Um, so that's kind of where I, I, I came up against it. Now, I, I have said on Twitter that I, I, I run out of time for films about unpleasant people, and that's true. I think that's mainly because I, I, as Sam has commented before, limited time for watching films. Um, and sometimes films, you feel like you can wallow in the squalor of humanity. Um, and this film, I think, is a bit of that, but I, I can separate those two things out. My main issues were with the direction um, that uh, Alejandro brought to the film rather than the actors and the story itself. What are your thoughts, Sam? I would disagree with you slightly. I think I think this, this jumping around, te- this mosaic technique, as you put it, works really well. Um, I think it does, it works well, not... You know, I hadn't thought about it like that. The this idea of change. I was thinking about responses to grief, and how nothing ever really makes sense in the maelstrom of of feeling around around grief. And this is what this film is about. This is a film that doesn't make sense, and it's like you said, it's. It's, it's washed out and the characters look sickly and everything's out of order and jumbles and you don't understand until right at the end everything that has happened and I like that I, I think that for me it, it feels like that's what this film is about this film is about things not making sense I, I, I see what you're saying I suppose I don't feel that was mirrored in the narrative it felt like the people in, in you know, apart from the obviously the immediate group, we saw and whilst I, we may not agree with all the decisions, none of the decisions were not understood, apart mm. from by the narrative trick of not showing us what was going on. So I mean, we'll we'll get into spoilers now because if you haven't seen this film, you really need to go and see it before you listen to more of the show. The sort of the big mystery, shall we say, during the film is who shot Paul. You see that sort of, you see it kind of at the end there. And the, obviously the implication of the film is that Jack shot Paul. Mm. Um, and at the end, you see this big reveal that actually he shot himself. And it just felt like that th- th- it, it was a trick. And I, I see what you're saying in terms of, like, but with grief and dealing with that, that internally it doesn't make sense. Like you just, you, I mean, as you say, you and I both know, you react to stuff and you do things. But it didn't feel here like we couldn't understand that, you know, someone lost her husband and kids. So she went back to being the drug addict beforehand. You know, a self-centered, selfish white person became obsessed with a woman who he felt he, he, he had some sort of problem. No one made choices here that weren't obvious to me. You know, the the progression, even of, of Jack Johns, who was this ex-con who was sort of strategically struggling in the world. His choices until the very last scene were obvious to me, um, and it didn't feel like it felt like the film was had a brilliant idea of technique, but couldn't find a narrative to tie it together. Whereas I, I, keep, I keep coming back to this parallel, something like this memento. Have you seen memento? Yes. But as memento, yes, there's a narrative trick there, but it is related to the like, the narrative. That you do have this this trick of the, the big reveal at the end of that film. Um, about mm. what's really going on but it has a narrative reason why it's that way and here I struggled to find the connection between the style which was well done it was, no, I can't fault it it's just the why the link between those two I'm well I will say I'm well aware that I am out on my own on this film 
yeah, the, 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 this film won what two Oscar nominations. It's won thousands of awards. People love it. It just, I'm well aware I'm by myself. No, I, I can see what you're saying, and it is, it, it is a tough watch. This film, and hmm. um, and part of that is is down to what you say. I mean, it it looks beautiful, but may maybe. Maybe there's something not quite right about this film, um, and you have every year you get quote unquote Oscar bait films, mm. which which is designed to appeal to the judges. And this was certainly one of those films in the early two thousands. You had the editing editing tricks and the direction of the narrative mm. and the fact that there are no real likeable characters for you to grip onto and you think well those are all all things that were designed to appeal to to the those giving out awards um so i do i and i know that you you say you're alone i don't think you are really alone i think certainly you're on your own in in terms of the general critical ideas about the film and uh, those Oscar nominations, things like that but I can see what you're saying there's something <laughs> there is something not quite right about this film and I think I think this this comes back to as we discussed previously this idea of subjective reviews of films and I, I've often said Lost in Translation is one of my favourite films of all time I love that film beyond all measure really but if that film was released today I don't think it would have the same impact on me as it did when I saw it when I was 20. Mm. And I think, uh, I said at the beginning here, this film didn't have the advantage of me having seen it when I was younger and seen it in its, its prime, shall we say, in, in released in its time when it was revolutionary, it was revelatory. And I think that's you see, I, I think it was different for me. I saw this when I was 19. Yeah. And I think that I, at the time, as I, said, as I said last week about the idea that these films have gone on to become nothing special because they've been repeated and repeated and repeated, but we appreciate them as the original. This felt like the same. Like, if if, if you caught this film at the right time, which clearly you did, it's going to blow your socks mm. off because it's unlike almost anything out there. You know, in terms of a mosaic film, there are very few films I can think of that are this, are this jumbled. Even something like Pop Fiction, which takes place in very confused timelines, shall we say, isn't as mosaic as this is. And I, I actually, I feel like that about Memento, really, which I saw quite recently. And I remember thinking, well, if I'd seen this in 2000, this would have been brilliant. Mm. And I'm seeing this in 2017, and yeah, all right. I think it's like, like you were saying about friends at the start of the show. It's like things, things exist in their time, um, mm. and things are amazing or terrible at that moment and you know, some things go on to be recognized later and realize you know they weren't not they weren't as good but they they're going to have that less less of an impact on the viewer as as they were when they were released mm. yeah but it's, uh, um i, I, I think i suppose that that, that that what it comes down to is i get what you're saying about a sense of confusion and the sense of um chaos that erupts in this life from from this thing so I, I, I maybe i would temper my review a little bit and i take that on board that the idea of, of chaos and confusion that grief and this instant can throw into these lives um even the life that is probably the less least disrupted shall we say which is paul's 
it's still you know, he, he leaves his wife he abandons his friends he hooks up with another woman and ends up in in the desert in a motel getting shot so there is this element of that this one act this one moment of, of a hit and run throws these three lives utterly into confusion yeah. and I, I, I just didn't feel that the film pulled off drawing those two links okay yeah I, there was something that I had a question about I wasn't really sure about I wonder if you had any ideas about this that Paul thinks that having someone else's heart has turned him into a different person and he says that to his wife well partner whatever their relationship is mary yeah wife and and wife and then he says basically the same thing to naomi watts's character and it's clear that he thinks that he's become a different person he hasn't quite become um clarissa's husband but he's certainly taken on part of that and that's why that's why he thinks he feels attracted to her what do you what do you think the film is trying to say about that i think the film is trying to point out that he's wrong um hmm. I, I think you know, if you look paul is a very very selfish character you see the start when he's on the list for um his heart transplant and he's smoking in the bathroom you know he clearly isn't when i say the start i mean the start of the, the, the narrative rather than the start of the film um yeah. he's smoking in the bathroom and, and, that, and that clearly puts his place on the list at, at risk um so he's clearly making selfish choices um, and then the idea that somehow this heart, which I can't, I, I will happily say, and you know, I, I have experience of seeing how getting a, a, a transfusion or trying to getting a transplant can really alter someone's mindset on their life when they thought it's never long, they've got a lot longer. You know, this man thought he had a month left to live, and suddenly he's not going to have a month left to live. Mm. But he still comes at the other side equally selfish. He doesn't care about what Mary wants, he doesn't care even really about what, uh, what Christine wants, he he just wants what he wants, um, and you know he he even the killing of Jack John with the trying to turn to sort out even the killing of that still feels like he's he's the one making these choices. He he isn't making choices for anyone else until right at the end when he shoots himself essentially to save Christine from killing Jack. Mm. That 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 is the moment at which he actually becomes somebody by shooting him, by you know, putting himself at risk. But I. I think it's he may feel like a different person, but I think the film is trying to highlight to us by the intercutting between these two, the two, the, the, the three, four stories um, and the different pirates that he isn't a changed person. He's still the same person he was, um, and that's where that's where the film is maybe maybe interesting in the case that you've got all these people who are, you know, she was drug addict and became one again. He was a criminal who went back to prison. He was a selfish person who got a lease of life and remained a selfish person that people don't change. And by being able to show different parts of their story, they you get to say, well, actually, they're saying they're changed. They're saying they're different people. They're saying that I'm no longer that person, but really they are still that person. Mm. Until the end. So I may have talked myself into the, liking the film during the podcast here. I'm, I, may, I may have convinced myself that my earlier views were wrong there, possibly. Right. It, I mean, it's that's good to hear, but also that's probably something that should have happened when you were watching it. It's a bit. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, films films can take more than one viewing, and you know, maybe True. maybe True. Uh, I, I, I but there we go. That, that, that was my, my my hot take on the film that maybe I've been talked out of. So fair True. enough. I'm always willing to have my mind changed on a film. Good. 
Um, do you have any recommendations for other films? I do, I do. I've got, I've gone two here. Now, whilst I may have questioned the reasoning behind the editorial choices to have this mosaic film, I can't fault the technical skill behind making it happen. The intercutting between these stories and giving you a feeling if you understand that the whole narrative, despite the sort of the cut-up version of it, is very, very, very good. Um, and so I wanted to draw two lines from that, shall I say. One of which is the, the editor himself, uh, Stephen Mironi, or Mirioni, um, who is very clearly uh, Alejandro's editor of choice. He's gone on to do Babel, Revenant, uh, Birdman. He's done a lot of the films with, with Alejandro. So he's doing, but what I want to do, he's also been a, a big sort of worker with Doug Lyman. And uh, I wanted, as I often, often do on the show, I wanted to plug the 1996 film Swingers. Uh, this is another film that we've that I've mentioned. Like I saw at the right time, and I don't know whether it had the same power now. Um, but it's you know, it's got what's it's got Heather Graham in it. But the two big stars are, are John Favreau and Vince Vaughn, both at the sort of the height of their um, their charisma and and power. It's brilliant. I, I can't say nothing about it. Um, so if you haven't seen Swingers, you really, really, really should see Swingers. Um, and he was the editor on that. Second film I wanted to talk about is I mentioned earlier that Eddie Marsden, who plays the Reverend in Twenty One Grams, is a big actor that I love, and he played a one of the main guys in a film that came out a couple of years ago that I I think gets short shrift in terms of its place. I understand why, I understand the heritage it comes with, um, but that's the 2013 film The World's End, the third film in the Simon Pegg trilogy uh, with Edgar Wright and uh, his sort of band of merry actors. It certainly doesn't get the love that the first two did, but to me it has special in my heart. I think it deals with what some, even some of the same themes as 21 Grand, people don't change. Uh, people, a lot of people kind of can't escape the demons of, of their younger years. But also I think it's hilarious. I think that Simon Pegg puts in a performance that is unrivaled in terms of his performances. And Eddie Marsden plays one of his friends, Peter, who is a very interesting and very different character to the Reverend, but certainly very, very funny. Um, so yeah, those are my two uh, swingers and the world's and very different films, twenty one grams, but I felt the need for palate cleanser. Right. Um, I have two recommendations. One of which I've talked before on the podcast. I don't know if I've talked about before on the podcast. I don't know if I've mentioned it in recommendations. And the link is Benicio del Toro, whom you've talked about, and I really like as an actor as well. And he was in the quite recent film Sicario, which I've talked about, um, so that I've I've watched previously, um, but I don't think I've recommended it. It is a brilliant film, a brilliantly tense film, and in terms of and um, the morality grayness good bad it it has really interesting thing to say and it it doesn't flinch from making big assertions about um political decisions i think is the spoiler free way to put it um it deals with uh, america and mexico and the fraught relationship between those two and it's a very good film um, Jessica Chastain. Is Jessica Chastain? I should Google that. Um, I'm pretty sure it's her. 
It's it's not. It's uh, wasn't name uh, Emily Blunt. Oh, they look the same. They look nothing alike. They're they're the same. They they're having worked with at least one of them. They are not the same. Yeah, all right, fine. Don't want to pull rank here, but uh... okay, all right. It's not just saying. It's Emily Blunt, and Emily Blunt is is brilliant in it. Um, and there are lots of supporting characters, including Benicio del Toro, who are were equally good. My second recommendation, I. Th- think I've recommended before but it was a great film and it needs talking about more and the link is Danny Houston who is as you said very good in presenting Michael Christine's um, husband and it is the again quite recent film Big Eyes and Christoph Waltz is brilliant and Again, it's an actress who looks like another one whose name I can't quite remember. I'm going to go for Amy Adams. But it may be Rachel McAdam. I don't know. Let's look again. Amy Adams. You're fine. It is Amy. You're right this time. Yeah. Um, so, Amy Adams and Chris Fultz are both very good, but great supporting cast. And again, from um, good work from Danny Houston. Um, and it was one that it's one of those films I wasn't sort of going into expecting to enjoy. It was um, something that I saw we saw sort of on on a whim because my wife's cousin was visiting us, and we thought, oh, well, let's go to the cinema. And it's it's a surprisingly good Tim Burton. I think he, even even Rob and his anti-Tim Burton agenda would find space for big eyes in his appreciation. Um, shall see. I think I I think it's it it may well be the best the only good Tim Burton film since um Episode of Hands, but I, I shall leave that for Rob to judge. Fair enough. I really want to sneak in one other recommendation. I I, I thought of this while you're talking there and I want to just mention it. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of filmic history and filmic legacy. And I want to talk about, quickly, the 1929 film Une Chienne Andalou, which is a film from Louise Bunnell and Salvador Dali. Essentially, it is a free association film in which they intercut random scenes that came to them in dream sequences together. So there is no there is no narrative between shot to shot, um, or scene to scene at least. Um, and... It came out and there was big uproar about it being about child abuse in the in the in the monasteries and all that sort of thing. Everyone takes their own thing from it. But if you want to sort of draw a line through film history as to what led to this mosaic style of taking disparate scenes and connecting them through sort of a thirty third message, and Shannon Loon is probably the sort of the originator of that idea, or at least the most popular. So if you're interested in the film history that led to this point, this is a very good jumping off point. So yeah, I'm just let that one in before before uh, under the wire, as it were. Okay, good. I will sit down recommendations as well. Um, right, next week we are continuing with our Yaritu mini-season and it's the culmination of his trilogy of um, not particularly uplifting films about various things to do with death. Um, it's the 2006 film Rob's already mentioned today, Babel. Well, guys, if you like the show and you want to help support us, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash kaijufm. We do appreciate every 
donation. Uh, hopefully you can check out some of our other shows on Kaiju FM. Uh, until then, we'll see you back here next week, guys. You can find us online at Prestige Podcast. You can find just me at Life underscore Academic. And you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. Once again, please come and tell me why I'm wrong about this film. And please do uh, review, the, review the podcast, go on to iTunes, help us get our visibility up. And if you like, if you like it, say what you like about it. Yes, we always like to be told how excellent we are. <laughs> All right, guys, we shall see you next week. Bye. The Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. I believe that role playing games are art. Specifically, role playing games are theatre, which means theatre artists are natural role players. What sort of hat am I wearing? <laughs> <laughs> the important details. Is it is it like a tricorn hat? Yeah. He has sure. got into full theatre mode now. Right, this okay. is amazing. So they want to be entertained. I'm going to give them a shot <laughs> with my iron and my tricorn hat. Life's a game. The world's our stage, and we're merely role players. Merely role players. A podcast where dramatic people play role playing games. Hosted by me, M. J. Starling in association with Blackshaw Theatre Company. Find us at merelyroleplayers.podbean.com or search your usual podcast app for Merely Role Players.